turn on those headphones. It's time for Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine. Welcome to Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine, the podcast that explores all things kinky in a sexy and inclusive way. This show is intended for mature audiences aged 18 and up, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We believe in risk-aware, consensual kink here on the show, so if you do try things mentioned on the show at home, know that neither the show nor the cast are responsible for any accidents, injuries, legal or property damages that may occur while getting your kink on. Welcome to Naughty Talk Season 2, Episode 10, Sunny here. I am so excited for our second season finale. We've had so many amazing guests and contributors this season. Our regular cast members, Panda Pet, HypnoStory, VD Mac, and Enigma have been amazing. Thanks also to our wonderful guests this season, Knothead, Void, Puppet, and our special guest for today's episode, Rigor. I couldn't do the show without so many amazing kinksters volunteering their time, so much love to all of you. It's time for VD Mac. All right, let's kick off the finale with VD Mac to talk about hunting play. We're going to get a little edgy today with this topic, and then Rigor will join us to talk about her very sexy and nightmarish collection. How are you today, Daddy? I'm doing well, baby girl. How are you? I am well, thanks. Again, I'm super excited to be kind of wrapping the season. I'm really happy with how it's turned out. And we've talked a little bit about primal play on the show, mostly last season. But today we're going to get a little bit more specific and focus just on the hunting play aspect. And we've even been developing a hypno class called Hypno Hunting. So hopefully coming to an event near you soon. But let's just start by telling everyone why it is that hunting play excites us. You go first. I think for me, hunting play, I really enjoy, especially the dominant part of me, really enjoys the the psychological aspect of it. The hunting, the prey and figuring out, getting inside their head and figuring out what they're going to do and, you know, being able to predict that behavior I also like the physical aspect of it as well. I like testing myself. I like pushing my boundaries and um, hunting prey can do that. So for me, you know, I also identify as a primal predator. I love the thrill aspect of it. Inducing fear is something that I enjoy as a top and a dominant. I love the CNC component. It's a chance for my inner sadist to come out and play When I do hypnotic hunting, I love to toy with the prey a little bit, letting fear for the prey and arousal for all the parties involved build a little bit. It definitely lends itself to feelings of dominance and control, but there's an element of primal challenge to it for me. So the submission isn't willing. Again, consensual, but there's definitely a feeling of deserving that final submission when it happens. What might be in it for the prey, you know, on the other side of the slash, we're both predators, but 
I, I think it's really the same on the other side, you know, loving to feel fear during play, mm-hmm. loving struggle play as the bottom, consensual loss of control, that sort of thing. There's a place for masochism in here too. So definitely fun to be had on both sides of the slash. Now, everything we've just described really could apply to a lot of different types of hunting play. I personally have mostly done sort of one-on-one hunting play, but there is also the possibility for more of a pack hunting play experience. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's all sorts of different scenarios in which you can have a pack hunting uh, play party, basically. Uh, like you, I definitely prefer my one-on-one scenarios, although I'll be honest with you, uh, at some point, I think it would be fun to hunt prey with you. But, uh, you know, it's certainly not something that we've had the opportunity to do yet. Ooh, who are we going to set loose in the woods to hunt down together? That sounds super <laughs> hot. <laughs> okay, focus, focus. Um, but you know, there's, there's kind of uh, several different types of scenarios that you can do that, uh, are pack hunting. You know, generally when you think of packs, you think of wolf packs and they tend to be kind of a cooperative effort where, uh, you know, you have a large amount of predators or, or a chunk of predators who are chasing down a single prey and they work in a cooperative fashion to do that. But, you know, there are other opportunities as well where, you know, you have a bunch of prey and a bunch of predators and basically it's kind of a first come first serve kind of thing. Yeah, I've definitely heard about events where people can register for a group event where a bunch of prey are released into the woods and a group of predators are in pursuit. When a prey is caught, a negotiated scene might even take place after the initial hunt. And it could be a situation where people come in groups or pairs and are hunting their own prey or where it's really a free-for-all and everybody consents to this kind of group situation and, you know, you're hunting whoever you can catch. So lots of different ways. I've never personally done this, but I think Mac actually has. I can totally see how it could be fun. Yeah, I I have. Um and, you know, like I said, it, it wasn't necessarily my cup of tea, but uh, it definitely w- was interesting and fun. And uh, I think everyone had a, a blast. But yeah, um, you know, it's it's definitely something that you want to pre-negotiate as uh, both from the predator side and the prey side and make sure that everyone agrees to what the negotiation is uh, and, you know, kind of take it from there. All right. So we've talked a little bit about different types of hunting play, be they hypnotic, be they physical, but how does hunting play differ from your actual experience harvesting your food? Uh, I mean, I I grew up in a household that was rich on hunting heritage. And from a very young age, I learned that uh, if I wanted to eat, that that eating involved actually hunting and harvesting your own prey. But for me, uh, you know, naughty time hunting uh, is definitely different than real hunting. It's a different headspace. Uh, it's a different attitude. 
It's, you know, because obviously if I'm hunting Sunny here as an example, I have no desire to actually hurt her or to otherwise, you know, harvest her. So for me, it's a completely different headspace between the two. But more than that, more than just not wanting to, like, kill or harvest your human prey, from what you've told me, when you harvest an animal, like, you do enjoy the chase or the pursuit, but there's no sadism involved. You don't want the animal to have any actual suffering. You want it to be cleaned and over quickly, and it's not for trophy hunting. It's not for any other reason than for food. And it's done with great respect for the creature that you're hunting and for nature versus, you know, when you're doing a a fun, sexy scene, yeah, you might want to make your human prey suffer a little bit because you mutually enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, um, you know, two different mentalities going out uh, into the woods. You know, obviously, as Sunny said, I have no desire to hurt an animal, but at the same time, I need to feed myself. And so my goal is to harvest an animal as quickly and ethically as I can so that there's as little suffering as possible. And it's kind of funny because I'm a predator, but actually a vegetarian bordering on vegan and I love hunting human prey for play or even human prey with roles like wolf and bunny, but I love animals and personally because I wouldn't be able to harvest my own meat. I choose not to eat it at all. And we both deal with our feelings about animal cruelty and factory farming, which, you know, I think the two of us are are very much aligned. We handle those, you know, feelings in different ways. Mac harvests his own meat sustainably. And yeah, this predator over here eats a lot of tofu. So hunting play is a form of CNC, consenting non-consent play. And we've talked about this a lot of times on the show already, but I just want to briefly jump in and say it one more time. It's the consent piece that matters. It's the parts of the scene that all the parties involved find sexy and have negotiated. How about some negotiation considerations for a physical hunting scene? Uh, That's a great question. Uh, Certainly, there are some aspects that, you know, really aren't involved, uh, at least not as heavily in other CNC um, type of play. So, for example, in a hunting scene, you want to negotiate what actually ends the the scene. Is it when the hunt is over, i.e., hey, I see you. You're, you're caught. Is it, you know, a chase that's going to be involved where uh, you actually have to tag the prey or uh, tackle them and put them to the ground? You know, what comes out after that um, takedown? Is there going to be play involved after that? So all of that needs to be negotiated ahead of time. Absolutely. Some people, you know, they want to be chased and they want it to end with physical touch. But, you know, maybe it doesn't feel great in their body to be tackled with force to the ground. So, yeah. And then, you know, for some people, that's just enough. And others, when they've been caught, tackled, whatever, they want to move to aftercare and don't want to necessarily proceed to another scene. Usually you and I like to continue to play, you know, (laughs) once someone has been caught. And when we play, I mean, I don't, 
I don't really feel like it's a hunting scene. Like I don't feel like it's a predator prey situation. I feel like it's more like primal sparring for dominance and a mating situation between two predators. For example, I don't just tend to run and hide. I tend to try to gain the advantage and attack right back, which is obviously a little bit of a different scenario. But generally, you know, once we've tumbled to the ground, we're planning on some sexy time ensuing. That may not be the case for everyone. It's actually very humorous because if you actually saw us together, Sunny is like this dainty little waif of a person, and I'm basically the average size of an NFL linebacker. So it's really, physically at least, not a match, but um, she does a really good job of making it as competitive as possible. I'm tough, and I'm also quick, and I'm also flexible, and so I think... It's about knowing what my physical advantages are. Yours are definitely strength and size, and mine are sort of speed and agility. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I I give as good as I get. She does. She does. All right. For a hypno-hunting scene, there are going to be some different considerations, and you're really going to want to negotiate a lot. So, you know, Mac was mentioning that, obviously, in a physical chasing, hunting scene, it's not ending with death of the prey. But with a hypno scene, you can take things a lot further if you want to, to a much darker place. And so, I mean, you're negotiating things like, is the person okay with transformation play, i.e. being made to feel like they are an animal, you know, a bunny, a prey animal, whatever it is. Do they consent hypnotically to just be chased or to actually be caught? And then if they want to be caught, what will the predator do to the prey? I have taken scenes like this hypnotically as far as, and consensually, of course, tearing my prey to pieces with each strike or rending causing both pain and orgasm, and actually hypnotic death for the prey in some cases. And actually, sometimes I even take it beyond you know, prey death in the hypnosis scene where maybe that prey is reanimated or they're just reliving the whole thing, the rending, the pain, the orgasms, everything on loop for a period of time until I say release. So you can take it to darker places. It can be a whole lot more sadistic and you can do things like mess with the environment. For example, I love to have a prey hypnotically try to run away, but find that when they try to dig a hole to hide that the ground doesn't give way because I'm controlling my hypnotic hunting ground or that they try to climb a tree, but their claws can't find perches, that kind of thing. So definitely really fun and also a really awesome opportunity if you want to engage in hunting play, but the physicality does not appeal to you or feel accessible to you for any reason. Also an awful lot to negotiate that goes beyond what most of the physical hunting scenes include. And now, coming in season three, the dark side of Sunny revealed. I think it's probably already been revealed at this point. Um, Yeah. I am a cute little wolf pup. (laughs) With an evil sadistic sash. I have to have the element of surprise for my future hunts. Okay, any last thoughts about hunting play? It's fun. You should try it. All right. So I hope everyone has learned something here today about what hunting play is all about. And 
I would like to wish all of our listeners happy and, of course, consensual, well-negotiated hunting. Next up, we have Rigger, she, her, collector of human toys and creator of wonderfully nightmarish fantasy and Polaroid photography. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Sunny? I am well, thank you. I'm really excited to have you on the show. I've been looking forward to this interview all week. Oh, me too. I appreciate the opportunity, you know, give your listeners a glimpse into my gritty little world. So tell us a little bit about who you are in terms of sort of your identity within the kink community, or I know you have some really specific kind of feelings about labels in general. So if you'd prefer, you can tell us about that. Uh, Yeah. uh, Like I said before, I'm not a huge fan of labels and putting people into little pigeonholes, unless that's what they're into, of course. But I guess I fall into the category of a collector, creative sadist, slave trainer, general psychological domination and bondage enthusiast. Uh, I know just like you, I'm a real mindfuck enthusiast. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of a glimpse in the roles that I feel comfortable identifying as. Excellent. And so... Anytime we talk about kink or play, especially when we're talking about stuff that includes CNC, we've talked about that on the show a little bit. There's sort of the fantasy element, and then there's the sort of, you know, peeking behind the curtain and seeing the inner workings of how something can be done safely and consensually. So why don't we kind of start with the fantasy aspect, and then we'll kind of get into the moving pieces a little bit. Sounds good. So anybody who kind of browses your FetLife page might take note of a certain collection of Polaroids. And in the comments, you often tell a story about each of the humans you've collected, assign them a number. Can you tell us a little bit about who these people even are? You know, what you would even call this particular type of fantasy? Well, not too heavily involved in the kink community, though I've attended a few great events and met some lovely people, um, including some of my past and current collection. But I guess it falls under CNC abduction, slave training, slave trade. Uh, I'm really into edging, forced orgasm, orgasm denial. I really love a good predicament that makes my slave earn her orgasm. I want her desperate and pathetic. Uh, It's delicious. But yeah, that's kind of the fantasy of it. I've always been an admirer and connoisseur of pretty things, so it just kind of organically happened, because I like the darker psychological side of kink. As do I. I was looking at some of your pictures, and I don't do any rigging. I do bondage with cuffs and other types of things, but not so much with rope. It's all fun. Yeah, I was looking at the predicament scenes and I was thinking, what if you added hypnosis? So like somebody's holding that ball and it's attached to the rope and the rope is around their neck, but you're making that ball feel like it's giving electric shocks really heavy. And my inner sadist was just really enjoying your work. (laughs) No, I definitely speak to the sadist. That's for sure. (laughs) 
Very nice. <laughs> so um, where do these scenes take place? Is it all over the place? Do you have like a dungeon that you work in? It really kind of organically happens. Uh, some of them are in my private facility. Some are at resorts or during events. Um, some have even been in in-home delivery demos for an investor. Uh, it's totally random. Uh, some of my favorite ones are road trips that I've taken with a partner and done some urban expo- exploration type stuff, you know, abandoned corn type. And we end up finding some really great stuff. Uh, about an hour, within an hour's drive of where I am, Sterling Heights, it's there's plenty of places. So it's always fun to find the random ones, but it's also always fun to have safe places too. And your photos are really incredible, and you're very welcome. Credit where credit is due. It looks like many of them are actually shot with a a real Polaroid. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Polaroid specifically and where that comes from? Well, pulling the curtain back a little bit, sausage making, if you will. Uh, The Polaroids actually now aren't real Polaroids. They're from Polaroids, but I do a lot of... Most of my stuff, all the creepy, really comes from post-production work. But yeah, I had a Polaroid printer, essentially, for a while, and it really just makes it uh, like a calling card, if you will. So you can shoot with a a higher quality photo, and then it will print like a Polaroid. Exactly. Very cool. Well, you wouldn't want to miss any of that. There are lots of details in there to enjoy. details. That's part of the fun. It's part of the story. It really pulls people in. Absolutely. And talking about the story, I hear that sometimes you, you like to stir up a little bit of chaos at events by, is it you sort of drop the Polaroids for people to find, or will you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, that's kind of exactly it. I let the event producers know, I announce on set that I'm going to be there, and if somebody finds or discovers the Polaroids or figures out who I am, they may be collected for a shoot, and it pretty soon makes people fight over them like Willy Wonka's golden tickets. (laughs) And it really creates a fun buzz and makes a fun, sexy game out of the event for Adventurous Bottoms. A real, like, masochist dream treasure hunt. So, it's really fun to watch. I bet. And when you're at the event, are you sort of, like, blending into the crowd and watching the chaos unfold? Oh, absolutely. That's most of the joy of it. I have some avid fans who I like to mind fuck with a bit and they'll think I'm coming to an event when I'm not or I'll have a friend that I give a Polaroid to who will, you know, drop a Polaroid in like a fan's bag just to mess with them. It's really fun. That's super fun. What else do you want to say about the sort of fantasy aspect? Like, what is it that you feel like people who find your Polaroids or look for them are seeking? Like, a little bit more about the fantasy before we lift the curtain. I mean, it's interesting because we have a lot of fans who will think that it's real. And I get people who send their addresses I've had a guy in Australia who wanted to send his wife and have me keep her in my basement for a month. And there's a layer of, yes, I'd like to keep the fantasy, but also people need to be, we're not abducting people and actually keeping them in basements for a month. 
you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Works. <laughs> I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute. And I know yes. I've talked about this before at other times, but I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. You know, CNC is not the same as actual rape and abduction. It's just exactly. not. You know, when you have a scene like that, and it's CNC, the C, the consent is the most important part. And what you are doing is you are taking your most sort of ideal vision of what something like being captured and carried away might be like, and your personal fantasy, and you're comparing that fantasy to the fantasy of the partner who's going to play with you, and then you're having a negotiation. And the things that the two of you are uncomfortable with, they're not happening. They're being left out because they're within your limits. So, you know, people think, oh, you know, like the idea of an abduction is sexy and it certainly can be, but it's not the same as really being snatched by a stranger on the street. Precisely. No, um, you and I talked about it a lot. There's a real difference between the fantasy and the real talk and the real talk tends to not be as sexy, but it is one of the most important parts. So, you know, it's all part of it, or it should be at least. And honestly, a sexy scene is the one that, you know, fulfills everybody's fantasies and actually comes to fruition and gets to happen and isn't having to be canceled because somebody's safety is at risk. Well stated. Absolutely. So, um, jumping to the real talk sausage making side of it, uh, <laughs> we talked about CNC, but really my scenes aren't even, even that. Most of them are completely discussed prior. Everybody's on the same page. The girls, models, whatever you want to call them, are fully on board and sometimes come to me with the idea. And it's me fulfilling a fantasy that they've had for years and had nobody that they trust to be able to fulfill it for them, you know? Who comes up with the the background stories that you write on each photo? Is it a collaboration or do you kind of make it up after the fact? It totally depends, uh, depending on who I'm working with. But generally speaking, it's a collaboration. But sometimes it's solely myself. Sometimes it is them. I was giggling reading one. I think it was about like somebody being like a Karen at a Starbucks and being taught a lesson. Oh, um, yes. And she's been <laughs> A regular visitor. We've had her a few times. And uh, she came up with that on her own. That's super funny. And it's relatable because, I mean, who hasn't been standing in line and seen somebody making a scene and you're like, I would love to take a cane to that person and teach them a lesson. You know, that's the fantasy. (laughs) I know. It's so good. So we were talking a little bit about how the stories come into play, who makes them up, that sort of thing. Would you like to tell us a story, maybe about one of your favorite collections? Well, favorite. Now, this is real. $6.95, you can find her somewhere on the site. Um, She's a dishy fangirl, and uh, we were doing another shoot with another photographer, and she didn't realize I was assisting. And I dropped a Polaroid in her makeup kit. And then later, when everybody was hanging out after dinner, I asked her to come help me carry some stuff to the garage where I had been shooting earlier and wanted asked her if she wanted to know a secret. And I leaned in and whispered, I'm rigor. She pretty much flooded the place instantly. And <laughs> we 
proceeded to shoot a bunch of really fun scenes for hours. That's awesome. You just kind of sneak up on people, but consensually. Consensually, of course. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. part of it. So, you know, we touched on it, but obviously this type of play requires some really serious consent negotiation. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what those conversations might look like? Well, it all depends on the individuals. Uh, Pulling back the curtain, um, a lot of them are my current play partners or my girlfriend at the time. And some are models that I've met and worked with prior. Some are friends and and some are couples that... I don't even do any of the rigging when I'm just photographer. So it all depends on who it is and our knowledge base of each other and our comfort level. But like I said before, all of my scenes are pretty much completely discussed prior. Everybody knows everything that's going to go on. Every T is crossed. Every I is dotted. Uh, Safety is first. No, safety allows for fun. And so some of them are a real scene and some of them are more of just a photo shoot. Correct. Some of the like the ones with play partners or girlfriends are we're just having a sexy fun time and the photographer in me comes out and I was like, I need to shoot this. Just stay there. I mean, I'm they're not like gonna move anyway. But <laughs> But you know, so it all depends. I've totally had sexy times with like a shutter, like a <laughs> Bluetooth shutter in my hands because I like right. to take pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you want to be able to look back and be like, yeah, I did this. <laughs> well, yeah, that's part of it. Um, no, it, exactly. Some of it is just memories. Some of it is artistically being uh, inspired. And it's a nice combo of both when it happens. I'd be willing to bet that a lot of the folks who are collected have a little bit of an exhibitionist streak. I think most, if not all, absolutely <laughs> do. <laughs> but uh, that's also one of the reasons that we do the most of them are hooded. Most of them are not, or they're all anonymous. Uh, it mm-hmm. allows for them to, I don't know, most exhibitionists I've met tend to want to look good all the time and want to be perceived as sexy. And the second the amenity layer is there, the comfort zone is just even more so. And they are allowed to not worry what the photograph is going to look like because their name isn't on it. Their face isn't on it. And it allows them to really enjoy the subspace. So it really protects their privacy, but it's also allowing them to be more present in the scene because they don't have to worry about, you know, is my face in the shot? Exactly. And then also the numbers give them the ability to go back and have something fun for their spank bank because they know it's them. So it's a nice little combo. <laughs> it works for everyone. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely a, a fine line being someone who has a bit of an exhibitionist streak <laughs> myself. People know this. Um, but also just kind of like, you know, deciding, you know, my, yeah, my voice is out there and how much of my face am I going to show when I, you know, versus like at a real event, you know, when I do events and I'm teaching a class and there are no cameras that are allowed, I will often show my face. Um, but I never let anything be recorded where my face is involved, that kind of thing, because privacy is so important. Privacy is so important. I mean, I'm on my voice changer. (laughs) You get that. 
No, and there's also more so even a layer just for, like you said, exhibitionist. They There's something that shuts off when they're not identified. And it allows them to just not worry about it. And um, most of them don't even see the photos until they're posted. So they have no idea what's actually going to come out. And uh, it's a nice little surprise, too. A little bit of anticipation mind-fucking there. I mean, it is my number one kink. (laughs) (laughs) We are aligned in this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm evil. It's one of the reasons, you know, it's so funny because I like to dress up as a little or a dolly and, and have that. But I'm really sadistic even in little space. And one of my partners was saying the other day that the littler I feel, the more sadistic I get. I feel that. Yeah. It's such a mind fuck. I think, you know, you're in like this little pink dress, you got the bow on, and you're like, I'm going to you up. No, people don't expect it. It makes it even better. It's the element of surprise that's really fun sometimes. Very, very much so. So we've talked a little bit about consent and negotiation. You're talking about, you know, things like who can be involved in the scene, who is touching who, is it a scene, is it just a photo shoot, you know, all the same stuff that you wouldn't negotiate with any shoot or any scene, safe words. But we talk a lot on the show about how we plan for the best, we do consent, we do negotiation, you know, we practice risk-aware consensual kink where we know that some of the things that we do do have some risk involved. And sometimes things are beyond our control and they do go wrong. So I often ask people to tell a sort of shit happens moment where something went wrong. Yeah. So like I said, some of the times it is a couple that comes and I am just helping them fulfill a fantasy. Um, It was a couple that came to visit. I had shot with them before, but they brought a new playmate along and one of them was rigging and the two girls were playing and I was just photographing a bit into the scene. The bottom started to get quiet and I kind of sensed that something was off. And so the less I shot and the more attention I paid, I ended up calling red and ending the scene. It was pretty awkward at first, but you know, when emotions died down and later on and everybody was talking, uh, They thought she was in subspace. She didn't feel comfortable speaking up. And she ended up thanking me profusely. Me being slightly outside the scene allowed for me to pick up warning signs that everyone involved were missing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a really telling thing that some people don't, aren't able to speak up for themselves in scenes. And for everybody to be just fully aware and not scared to stand up for themselves and say they're uncomfortable. Like it was lucky for her that she had somebody outside the scene that spoke up for her. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And that can get, can get scary quick. And, you know, it's something we haven't actually discussed on the, the show yet, so I'm glad you brought it up. But there is such a thing as having a spotter for a really intense scene. Yeah. And, you know, just like if you were doing some kind of gymnastics or something, you have a spotter. But really, you know, if you're doing something where there's a lot of risk involved or it's really edgy, or even if it's something where, like, you've done a lot of practice, but this is the first time you're doing a skill, you know, mm-hmm. for the first time in a real scene, having somebody there who is – 
you know, maybe just on the outside, they're not part of the scene, but they're just sort of keeping an eye on things to spot safety issues that might not be noticed. Like that's a real thing that people do to keep things safe. Oh, absolutely. The harder you go, the more precautions you need to take for everybody involved. And if that is having a person completely out of the scene that is there just making sure that everybody gets caught properly or what have you, like, do it. Keep everybody safe and happy. That's what really makes a sexy scene. I actually had a a similar situation once where I did have a spotter because I was doing something that was a little bit unique and a little bit risky. And um, Panda Pet, who's on the show, and I were doing a hunting scene with hypnosis. And Panda and their partner, Hypnostory, really sort of mentored me in hypnosis. I tease them all the time that they created a monster (laughs) now. Now, sometimes I've been turned loose. I have numerous people tell me that. But, um, you know, we were doing this this scene where um, it was a hypnotic primal scene and it involved hunting. And the thing that was unique about it was not the content or the CNC component or the hunting component. The thing that was really unique about it was that I was topping the scene for Panda who was in trance, but I was also in trance. So I actually had Hypno Story drop me and pull out like my most inner predator qualities to kind of let my inner wolf step forward. And then in that space of trance, I tranced Panda and topped that scene. And so. Yeah, it was really complicated. And so, you know what? Like, you know, that's a, there's a little bit of risk there. There's me being in a state of trance, also like controlling somebody else's trance. And so the fact that Hypnostory was there to act as a spotter really gave everybody a lot of comfort. And yeah. also knowing that, you know, both Panda and I have a lot of agency with hypnosis. We're very good at sort of automatic safe words and bringing yeah. ourselves out of trance if something is going wrong. There was like layer upon layer of safety involved in that. Yeah. And um, But, you know, that was a scene. Even with a lot of experience between the three of us, we had a spotter be part of it. Oh, and like, like we've said, that actually shows your experience and shows that you want to keep everybody safe and happy. Absolutely. Respect everybody. <laughs> Even though it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, PSA, you know, I love doing hypno scenes um, with Panda because I know that it has so much agency. And so we can go to really dark places and I know that it's going to safe word or it's going to tell me if something isn't right. And so we can explore those things because there's that trust there. No, as a top, we don't, I don't think we talk about it enough, but as a top, trusting your bottom to be able to speak up for themselves and be able to assess a situation is so, is such a gift that you can give to your top because it's stressful and you know you can very easily lose somebody in a scene and some of my favorite uh people to work with are the ones that i've worked with before and are able to say red and not be embarrassed about saying red when they need to absolutely 
it really, you know, having that degree of trust and shared responsibility and also knowing that sometimes tops need aftercare and they need reassurance that, hey, we just did this super fucked up like sadistic scene and I need a little reassurance that you enjoyed that and that you were okay with that and that, you know, this is what we agreed on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we don't talk about it enough. Yeah, you're right. There is a lot of emphasis on bottom aftercare, but tops need it just as much. I know that there are numerous tops that think that that's silly, but, you know, to each their own, I suppose. I don't think it's silly. I think that consent and communication and agency are sexy. (laughs) Yes. Super sexy. Give me that communication. Yes. There's something actually really scary about a bottom that isn't communicating. Confirmation you had a good time. It's what I need. I need to know that you're getting off so I can get off. And, you know, when I, I do something that's really twisted or fucked up, I I do I still check in. You know, I say, where are we at? As I'm you should. Green. As you should. <laughs> no, and that's, and that's part of it. Part of the, the whole anti-fantasy of it is yes this is a super hot scene but are you okay tell me you're fine and we can continue it's it's like the rest of the scene to be even hotter yes you know it's it's that that green light that allows you to keep going because if you're left to wonder you might wrap the scene up or say you know what this has been pretty intense and i'm i'm not sure so i'm gonna end it here whereas if your bottom is giving you that active you know green or whatever, you know, positive, safe word you want to use, you can go for it. The green makes me wet. That's how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right. So if you had to, if you got to have your own little soapbox, (laughs) wave your nightmare magic wand and just sort of impart some wisdom to our listeners about the type of play that you do, what do you wish that everybody knew? What you see in the photograph isn't the whole story. Please don't try and duplicate what you see just because it seems easy to reconstruct. It's not. Uh, One of my photos, I don't know what number it is, but I posted and it has jumper cables. And I still get inquiries about people asking how to do electro torture with jumper cables. Simple answers, don't fucking do it. It just, don't fucking do it. (laughs) Uh, but some folks love the dark fantasy to a point where they disregard their self-preservation. Uh, I get inquiries. I get addresses. Numerous girls have sent their addresses. Just begging to be collected. Use your fucking common sense. This is a dark fantasy, a dark fairy tale, not reality. And if somebody is going to kidnap you, have communication first about it. So that that's me on my soapbox. <laughs> it's a good one. Seriously. You know, I, I have done really intense um, scenes that lasted three days and that were capture fantasies. And uh, yeah, you know, and I, I mostly top now, but at other times in my life, you know, I have bottomed some CNC scenes you know, it's it makes you a better top. That's my personal opinion. It does. You have to know what it feels like to create that, in my opinion. You know, I always oh, say I, that with a caveat. In my opinion. But you have to know what it feels like. What are you inducing in somebody else? Where what are you asking them to do to feel? 
And, uh-huh. you know, scenes like that, you know, a week of negotiation, sharing of fantasies, talking about where those fantasies align and where they don't. And even beyond the normal sandbox, you know, this was never something I have done with a partner that wasn't a regular partner who I knew, you know, very intimately and had trust with. But, you know, those types of things, they take so much planning. And even down to things like I have filmed a video of us saying like, we're doing a kinky scene. (laughs) So if you come across it, you know, this is a pre-recorded video of, you know, both of us saying we're cool with it. And, you know, this is who you can contact who knows that we're having this scene in this location if you want to verify with a third party. And precisely, sometimes that is what's needed. And uh, you had brought it up before it it depends. Like some of mine have been play partners and girlfriends who we know each other like the back of our hands. And then some are people like you were just saying, where they aren't a regular play partner and we're still getting to know each other. And that requires a deeper level of conversation prior to the scene. Absolutely. And the more you know, the better. I've even decided to implement so when I when I do a really long scene, like a, a three day weekend kite, it sounds exhausting and exhilarating. <laughs> it's awesome, but usually what we do is, or what I like to do is, I have a special word that instead of just being like a red in the moment or a yellow in the moment for like the specific thing is too much and, you know, pause and negotiate or whatever the scene is over. I like to have an additional safe word that just signals like I'm kind of done with the scene and it's time to transition to aftercare so that you can really be in the moment. And, you know, you have your regular safe words for like, if something is going, you know, physically or emotionally wrong, Mm -hmm. but also just kind of like a clear signal of, you know, this is when the scene is over. So everybody's yeah. on the same page after there's been a lot of, you know, mind fucking involved. Mind fucking, you need to be on the same page. It's a very slippery slope if you're not. Yeah. And just so it's like a very clear signal. Okay. The scene is, is done now. And also to pre-negotiate how much aftercare is something like this going to require? Because if we have three days to be together, you know, maybe the scene yeah. is 48 hours and we need a full 24 hours of aftercare for oh, something absolutely. like that. Yeah, exactly. No, and uh, being able to acknowledge that and accommodate is huge. Well, thank you for having this amazing conversation with me. I really hope that you'll come back on the show and talk with us more in the future. So fun. Now, when are you and Panda coming and visiting? Because we're going to need to set that up. We totally do. <laughs> I have this fantasy about you tying it up and me fucking with its brain. <laughs> it could be oh, amazing. It could be fantastic. <laughs> Photographing the whole thing. <laughs> of course, of course. Oh my goodness, so much fun. I'm looking forward to it. Maybe I'll I'll send it a, a little clip of this before the, the season comes out. <laughs> Just yeah. as a little tease. Yeah, teaser. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> so good. Thanks, as always, for listening to Naughty Talk. Our show is available on most popular podcast platforms. For updates, to submit a request to be a guest on the show, to write in with questions for our hosts or request lifestyle advice, head over to the show's page at sunnylemain.com. You'll also find information about my novels, including my Turn the Key series, which are dark erotica with themes of hypnosis, BDSM, and sometimes a little bit of magic. All books feature different kinks and are queer inclusive. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you join us again next time.